Hi and welcome to Dynamics Update. Today we are doing a bit of a special episode and with me as usual I have Gustav Sundlaud. Hello Gustav. Hello Johan. How are you tonight? Yes, I'm I'm fine, thank you. Uh, it's it's late and I'm a bit tired, so that's that's good. Perfect time to talk about our favorite topic. Yes, absolutely. So today is a bit of a special episode, as, as I mentioned. It's not an interview, but we are going to talk a bit about microservices and what they are, uh, how they work, uh, why they exist, and and uh, uh, which ones are available. <laughs> which ones especially. should you use? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, absolutely. I, mean, I think microservices is uh, is like the the word in itself has gone up and down I, a number of years back. Everyone wanted to run everything on a microservice. Everything should be microservices. I think maybe we should start with kind of a explanation of what what this. I mean, what and of course from a dynamics perspective, this is all uh, coming from the, all of the different add-ins that are now available in in um, uh, in dynamics and the scale units etc so maybe we should just clarify uh you want what is a microservice for you yeah so so if we if we look at it from a from an ax perspective uh, i would say that ax 2012 is the opposite of a microservice it's a very mon- monolithic application it's a it's a big application it requires a lot of it has a lot of dependencies mm. it has a lot of internal tables that are being used in different places and it's it's a bit of a hassle to maintain because if you change something over here it might break things over there Hmm. so uh, that is a monolithic application that is the opposite of a microservice so the point of a microservice is actually to break the chain of dependencies and create extremely well documented apis and dependencies between these different links in the chain Hmm. so for instance when you when you are working with uh, event-based integrations that that is a part that that is a way that you create these api dependencies instead of integrations complicated integrations meaning that as long as you don't change the interface you can basically do whatever updates you want on each of the components mm-hmm. as long as you don't change the the interface between them Exactly, it's all about interface point. design, right? So, I mean, you could argue that um, AX2012, more so than t- 2009 at least, worked with like interface design internally with the way it worked within the system. So, as long as we don't break the interface, um, then we can do whatever magic we want underneath the hood and return back the same contract, right? So, it's the same same principle. It's just that microservices are uh, not within the same application, usually, what you call something um that resides outside of the system that you're currently running how we look at it at least um so a microservice as you say 2012 is like not a microservice it's a monolithic application 365 is uh, in itself not uh, not a microservice of course it's a no no quite monolithic even though a lot of scalability and redundancy and secondary um database etc so uh it's not in a bad way but um there is also uh, another well uh, theme here or name that comes up is the sc- or the scale units, um, not to be confused from my perspective at least, not to be confused with a microservice because even though a scale unit, uh, let's say the commerce scale unit is another application, it's not Dynamics three six five like backend application, it's a different one, uh, but it's not a microservice. It, it provides a set of operations, a set of logical operations, and works independently mostly at least uh, but it's not really a microservice it's a scale unit which you can place somewhere else but it has so many it's so many operations so it's it's a set of microservices you could call it um, but 
it's it's also important to know that that the scale units actually solve a different problem. Exactly. They don't they don't solve the maintainability problem. No. They solve latency problems. If you have a if if you have a store or a warehouse in a different Azure region, it solves that problem. Yeah. It also solves the, as you said, the offline problem yeah. that when we do maintenance in finance and operations, we don't need to have, we can still do most of the work even though the main system is down exactly. at the moment. Yeah, exactly. So, the, so two different things, basically, microservices. Then we have, of course, it's like um, other applications that are like um, out of the box integrated to Dynamics. Uh, that are not scale units. So we're, we're going to go through a number of these, and I think the, the examples will make it even more clear. But um, it's interesting to see that um, transitioning from, from Microsoft side to more and more microservices. Uh, like I said a couple of years back, everyone wanted to solve every problem with a microservice. That's not always the best <laughs> the best path to go. Uh, don't build a microservice just because you can. Um, but if you there are a number of um, functions where a microservice makes a lot of sense, um, and uh, we have some of them here on, on the dynamic side as well. Yeah, and th there are other reasons for using this architecture. So what, what the one we we mentioned was maintainability, of course. The second one is is uh, scalability because. Mm -hmm. When we are in a sort of a cloud environment, uh, we have situations where we would like to be able to scale things out and scale things up because we have we we are putting a, a bigger load on the system. We would like to be able to scale things things yeah. out. And if if our microservices is built in the correct way, and with correct way, I'm what I'm saying is basically we need to understand what, where our state is stored. What is what is expendable and what is what needs to be saved? We don't want to have these microservices store a lot of state. We want them to be uh, sort of just code. Yeah. We want to, them to be a place where we send things. We have metadata there, but the, the actual data is not there. We have maybe a rule set. We have uh, endpoints. Where it's it's an integration platform. Could it could be? Um, but we don't want if if it goes down if it crashes we don't want to lose any data because that's another place where we uh, need to do backups and that means that we have uh, more complexity in this. But mm -hmm. as you are saying here, the the microservices as well as simplifying things in one way, it also creates a complexity yeah. because there are more things that we need to understand, but they are also more well-defined. We can also maintain them in a better way and, and making it easier in the long run. So I, I still think it's a, it's a better solution, yeah. but it, 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 we need to understand it in a, in a, in a broader way. Broader context, so, yeah, exactly. And I mean, just by running Dynamics 365 on, on Azure, you're using like microservices components and architecture, whether you like it or not. I mean, you have a number of like um, uh, operations executing on the platform in itself that you could argue are microservices but what we're go going to cover here um, or in this discussion is mainly the like the business operations the ones that solve or try to resolve at least business operations for you um, yep. in a nicer way yeah so so the question here is is Gustav has, has touched on it before is this a new approach no it's it's not because we have done this for instance when we implemented BizTalk BizTalk is a dedicated integration environment 
where we actually moved the integration logic and code out of the system. So we're moving it into a centralized store where, we, where we're just keeping the integrations. That's one example. ERP and CRM is another example where we break things apart. And, and we, because we used to have like a CRM component in, 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 yeah. in AX. Still do in some cases, yeah. <laughs> I mean, the reason why we're doing this, and also if you look at CRM that we're breaking CRM apart, is mm -hmm. that we are creating smaller logical parts, which is more easier to ha yeah. maintain or, and handle. Uh, if we look at the, the, the component that used to be uh, Dynamics 365 for talent, that's an example of this. We took the HR module out of a finance and operations into a different component, into different applications. Unfortunately, it didn't work. So now it's it's back again. We are using the, the old one as well. Um, <laughs> and I, I would still, I mean, from, from some point, even though it, it is not the microservice, you could actually argue that the, the retail setup in AX 2012 was sort of a, a way to break things apart and ma make yeah, things less, less vulnerable, but it doesn't solve exactly the same problem. So I, I you could argue both sides. It's again, it's a scale unit, right? I mean, the 2012 retail is exactly the same. It's just it's cloud scale unit and, and um, a lot of new cool components, of course, but it's the same principle here. It's not a microservice in, in itself. You do lose data if that if the cloud scale unit goes down and you haven't replicated it back to, um, to your backend. So, so, but it, it is the same, like, like I said, maybe like three things here. Scale unit is one thing, microservice is another. And like interconnected applications would be a third. That's not a trademarked saying here, but no, um, no, no. you get what I mean. Yes, absolutely. So which microservices are available? So the one that we are referring to as microservices today in this in this context are the ones that you can add, install as add-ins in LCS. We, yes. we have one that is a bit out of scope here, but we will mention it as well because it... it fulfill the same uh, <laughs> sort of design character of, mm. of a microservice. But what we are talking about normally is the one that we install from LCS that is called an add-in. So I, I will start with the first one. And this one is, is sort of the one that I think is the most important one right now, because it's, it's basically not a service that the users will be using. It's an infrastructure. And that is export to Data Lake. Uh, it's been in in uh, preview for a really long time, and now right now it's in sort of a limbo. It's in <laughs> preview still, sort of for the the near real time synchronization. The reason for this is that you will require to have the data lake setup done for some of the other uh, microservices that we will be discussing in this episode. So it's it's an important one, and it's the one that is closest to. Uh, no, I, I wouldn't say that it's closest to GA, but it's one of the ones that are are more or less done. Mm. Uh, I've been I've been in fast track uh, projects where the, even the fast track architects say that you you can use this. It's it's fine. Yeah. You can even use the near real time synchronization part because it is working. It has been tested. It just doesn't have the GA stamp, so you will be supported as if you are in GA. Yeah, sort of. 
which is near GA. <laughs> as near as you can <laughs> exactly. get exactly right it was one component yes but exactly but again exactly. this this goes back to what we discussed before but platform components being of a microservices nature of course because you're talking to azure synapse you're talking to the all these functions they connect and they are in turn connecting to the low level sql side which you're not accessing from from dynamics so you are leveraging on number of microservices here um, but the add-in in itself that we discuss here is like the microservice that you need to install so yeah so uh, so important thing to to note here is that it's it's doing a couple of things it's exporting data out to a data lake and the reason for that is that we used to have two ways of exporting data or actually providing data for for especially for reporting the first one one was bring your own database which exported to an azure sql the second one is the database internally in in the fno environment called axdw ax data warehouse those are are eventually going away not at the moment but they are eventually being deprecated and replaced by the data lake mm. and the reason for this is of course that it it has a lot cheaper storage azure sql is not the it's not a, a cheap solution by any means. And uh, yeah, and it's also, as I said, it's also going to be infrastructure for a lot of other services that, that we are eventually going to uh, have. Yeah. And then, then we have the, I would say the oldest one, <laughs> the oldest uh, microservice of all, the, the mother of, the, of all microservices. Yeah. Uh, this is a stretch calling it a microservice. Well, it is, it, is, it is in all essence a microservice because it takes us uh, like a long running batch operation um, from legacy side. This, uh, the master planning has always been like the biggest culprit of performance that, uh, or issues because it's so complicated to plan, right? So what, what it is, it's basically um, offsetting that set of operations that plans and optimizes your master planning um, based on your demand and order, etc. Instead of running it in a batch nightly as is the well, norm, um, you put this setup operation out to the planning optimization tool, which is built, for, which is optimized for that specific. It doesn't run on X plus plus. It doesn't run. It's, uh, it's optimized to do this setup operations, and then it returns back the result. So, from that perspective, it's a perfect microservice. It's just usually a lot of data, so it works with the data stream, and then performs the calculations based on your setup, etc. Uh, and actually, this one, um, if you're using master planning. This is not like an optional one. You need to start planning for this because the old um, solution within Dynamics will be deprecated uh, soon. It, it was deprecated. It, it is deprecated, deprecated in, exactly. in December 2020. Yeah, but I mean, so uh, yeah. it's not. It's not even. So, so it, I would say that that most of the microservices will probably end up in the same place as as planning <laughs> optimizations, replacing something else, yeah, exactly. moving something else out of the system deprecating the old version and being the new shiny thing exactly but it's always going to be like a transition period right so if you're stuck in the old one you need to stay on top of when it is uh, like finally shut down deprecated means that you can still use it for a while but um, it will go out uh, so you need to make sure to use it um, start using it at least yes okay so the next one uh, is actually uh, one that's called IoT intelligence. And I would say that this is also one of those infrastructure ones. So what it actually does, it integrates FNO with uh, the Azure IoT Event Hub. Mm. So it's basically just a glue between FNO and IoT services in Azure. 
Okay, so wh why would you want this? So the reason here is that it's it creates a no-code abstraction between FNO and IoT services in mm. Azure, meaning that you don't need to build the connection to Azure. And it also surfaces data from the IoT event hub directly into to Azure. You have basically three scenarios today. You have delayed orders, you have equipment down, and you have quality anomaly. And that you you can use those as indicators to create rules which uh, apply to, for instance, uh, uh, delivery times and, and such. And again, like a set of operations to, to that connect to existing external components. But in, uh, interface design uh, makes it so that you don't have to build this on your own. You can rely on the standard set of components and then do what you like with it, uh, but you don't need to build the actual connection. So that's a very nice, nice thing. Um, uh, and speaking of nice things, the tax calculation service is a really nice thing. And this is again, this is my my like favorite one from this discussion because it's so clearly a microservice that fits all of the like, criteria here, where you can um, instead of running the calculation of tax based on like tax code and a lot of different criteria, uh, depending on which country you're in, the the tax calculation can become quite complex uh, in different scenarios. I know, I think for just a side note here, I think um, specifically India, based on experience at least, has been the most complex one when it comes to tax calculation. Um, they spent, it must have been thousands and thousands of hours, development hours, building tax calculation to adhere to those complex scenarios between regions. And then they re changed it to flat tax instead. And then they had to change, like put thousands of new development hours to roll back those changes. So... so with that said, putting offsetting that like um, complex set of logical rules and operations that is tax that is also prone to change, um, changing the VAT percentage um, from a yearly basis, a number of changes coming in. So instead of doing it within the ERP machine, um, you put this operation out and you just pass um, the agreed upon contract like VAT code, group, customer, uh, whatever you need it returns back the calculated tax value. And you can change the rule set with which, with which it calculates um, without impacting ERP, without like, you get all of the benefits here from a, from a microservice. Um, and this is really a micro because that's what it does. It doesn't do anything else. It just runs that tax. I don't know about um, data retention here, but I would assume that it only stores data temporary when doing calculations so only instantiate data and then it drops it i would guess from a maintenance perspective i would hope at least um yes a few, a few notes it's available uh, in asia australia canada europe yeah. japan united kingdom and united states so it is usable in most regions right now and one thing that you need to know is that if you haven't set up rcs yet mm. the rcs is, is the electronic reporting repository that that uh, replaced LCS uh, a while ago. If you haven't set it up yet, this is a requirement for running the tax calculation service. Yeah. So that needs to be in place. Yes, and this might also mean, I don't think that's the case, but it, it might mean that your tax calculation queries are passed to another data center than the one in which your Dynamics um, application resides. Another thing to think about when you set this up, um, 
performance, etc. Uh, maybe or maybe regulatory constraints as well. Um, so something to think about when designing microservices as well as scenarios. Um, finance insights, you want reporting, right? Yes, uh, this is actually one of my favorites, and and it's not probably not for the reason that you think. the The whole point of finance insights is actually to calculate cash flow, and that is done based on an AI model, which predicts uh, based on on previous payment history. It predicts uh, cash flow for specific customers. So it actually warns you which customers is more or less likely to pay on time. And it, it can also create snapshots. So you can actually compare the, the, the guess that the model is making and, and uh, compare that to, to um, what is the actual scenario in, in most cases. And you can also like track uh, cash position and, and cash forecasts over time. So it doesn't just show you uh, what is what is the instance right now. It actually shows you what it used to be. You can you can create a, a, a snapshot uh, in the at the start of the month and then see if it has changed their its predictions and so on. Mm. And the reason for me thinking that this one is the best one is not because I'm I'm all of a sudden being interested in finance. It's because actually it's a it's a way to trick customers to start using AI. <laughs> uh, because the, the thing is that we have a, a lot of AI features in Azure. The problem is that you need to be like a data scientist to use them. You need to uh, to have a lot of of uh, understanding of AI. Then Microsoft released AI Builder because that was going to be extremely simple. The problem is that it's still not extremely simple. You still have to understand how a, a learning model works. Yeah. So in this case, it actually uses uh, AI Builder, but it's a really, really, really constrained model, which the user can't really touch. It's, it's pre-built, it's pre-trained, and it's out of reach for anyone using the system. Yeah. So it, it basically just gives you a result back and you don't even have to understand that this is AI working. No, it makes a lot of sense to do that um, because it's so standable with the result, right? And the more, a lot of people do this already with replenishment scenarios and algorithms that you trust. You don't understand them if you're not a very advanced mathematician, but um, you trust that they do their work and you actually see the results because it's measurable how many clients you, you can or how many credit or claims you need to, to handle anyway. So it's pretty cool. The next one is expense management. And that is also a, a, a service that's actually tricking people into using AI. Uh, and the reason for that is that it what, it what it does is that it scans receipts and then it, it matches them to the expenses that you have reported. And it can also like scan the, the statements from credit card mm -hmm companies and match them automatically to expenses filed in the system. The only problem is that it only works in the US, yeah. which is a, a shame. So eventually it will probably end up here, but it, it will require cooperation with the major credit card vendors also. So yeah. uh, it might be that it, it takes it's some time. Yeah, it's the same. Yeah. With payroll as well, right? Still only applicable in, in US, um, I believe. Um, right, you can also take the uh, the next one, the, the electronic invoicing, right? I think that's another one you know more than I do. 
Yeah, so so I've discussed this a couple of times on the on the podcast before that we spend a lot of time and money in the project building things that that is extremely static. For instance, invoicing and getting invoices from mm. governments, to, for instance, is one of those. It's it's not like governments are known for changing their standards uh, that often. So having Microsoft build these templates and and uh, set up is probably a good thing because it it makes uh, it gives us a chance to focus on other things in the project and yeah. other things that that we need to fix. So the whole point here is that it requires RCS as did tax calculation service. It has multiple formats like electronic invoicing, uh, sorry, electronic reporting, and um, the whole point is that you actually connect it directly to the web services endpoints mm. of the the uh, receivers of the invoices so you don't even have to have like a, a service sending them to the correct place no. it it gets sent automatically which Agreed. is a really cool thing yeah. it's like an edi broker basically it's a really cool thing. Um, all right. Uh, another one that we have is the Inventory Visibility app. Kind of falls a little bit in between because it's a really microservice, pretty clear-cut case. Like you have on-hand queries going to another application, in this case, the Visibility app, instead of being routed towards the ERP um, or backend here for performance reasons, scalability. But Visibility tries to solve not only the performance part, it also ends up being like a global repository of on-hand where you, because you might have more than one sources of on-hand globally than just Dynamics 365 ERP. Uh, so what it is is an application which resides in Dataverse and relies on uh, the Dataverse and um, actual data storage. Uh, so it's not... Um, clear-cut microservice it does store data and uh, but you don't um, except for the rule and the setup if you uh, lose data the data is always fed from the um, uh, source systems dynamics being one like plug-and-play provider but you can configure any uh, ERP or any any channel basically to update the inventory visibility app with current on-hand data it also handles um, available to promise it handles um, reservations etc so you can uh, have a the point of it is to try have a near real-time accurate on-hand visibility globally um, without having to do all of those merge operations within within ERP so a little bit mainly a microservice but um, it also works on its own basically um, you could theoretically run this without Dynamics 365 as a backend um, but it, it's a clear case because it comes as an add-in for it. Yes. Uh, and then we have a brand new one, actually, yeah. which is globally global inventory accounting. Yeah, I can t talk about that one as well. I, I haven't had a chance to test this one out because it's a really... Um, what it does is if you have, let's say you have um, standard cost as your inventory value model, um, you're quite happy with it. It's easy and simple to understand. Uh, unfortunately, it doesn't match the uh, requirements for some legal reasons. I'm not an expert here, but there is a need to run double or dual valuations. Um, maybe for, you might run standard cost. What this does, it it's kind of offsets that set of operations to an external application uh, where it can calculate, let's say FIFO or moving average. It can run a different inventory value model um, or like having a different currency. It's for reporting purposes. It's for regulatory purposes that you might have a set of rules that require your business to operate in a certain way here. 
um, but you have a legal need to report in a different way over here. Uh, so that's what, what this aims to resolve here. Not from a performance perspective, because just because you're not, it's not possible to do it within Dynamics without heavy customization. So this resolves an actual um, operational uh, problem for some companies, um, and arguably, and it does it as like an, an external service, I would say, rather than microservice, um, because it's more more of a finance finance insights, I would say. Um, you export data and it runs a set of operations on it, but you extract the data from there. It doesn't push it back to Dynamics or anything like that. It's just it's a reporting tool um, application. Yes, and then we have the one that we, we mentioned briefly in the beginning that is uh, sort of in a gray area, but it I, th I would say that it still fits yeah, the, it qualifies, yeah. the, <laughs> the definition of microservice, even though it's not an add-in. No, exactly. It's the IOM, the Intelligent Order Management. It's branded i'm not a full expert here but it's branded as a separate application it's so you can license this separately as well as the visibility i believe um it's a, it's an order management application really uh, but again it comes it falls in the category of dynamics because it's an add-in and it comes plug and play with um, dynamics as a source of order management order um orders but it's also it comes with a number of other players where um out-of-the-box connectivity and you can extend upon it. it it connects to the inventory visibility app as well so again it tries to pull that kind of complex calculation for uh, order management with fulfillment uh, calculations and criteria where you can set, define you kind of build these rules in the it's run it runs on dataverse and you can build these like rules outside and then it has this final this configurations or connectors to dynamics um, where it pulls all of the relevant data and then calculates based on that. So it's more of a like um, larger set of operations that you push out um, outside of Dynamics because you have a need to, to connect to different sources. Um, but it, it kind of falls in the microservice category as well. At least it is an add-in that you need to, to activate, right? So a larger set of operations than a pure microservice. And But the actual well, the order execution is then done in the corresponding systems. So it set builds and returns to set okay these orders should be fulfilled and then they are actually fulfilled within the ERP. So it's still just a set of calculations that are then acted upon. That's why we put it on the list. <laughs> it qualifies. All right. So I think we are actually done for today. Yeah, those are the add-ins that we have, right? Yeah, I think we've got given you a, like a sort of an overview of the Add-ins and also a discussion around why these exist. Uh, I think it's a. I th personally, I think it's a good way uh, that Microsoft is going. Um, I think the lesser things that we can do within finance and operations, the more we can add. Uh, we can we can use the the power of the ERP system for what it's actually good at. Exactly. And I think yeah. that's a good idea. I think that's very good. I think what you said before as well, the, the whole point of if you're doing something, let's try to solve a problem here. And all of these are actually trying to solve a problem, be it of performance or scalability or actually just putting a set of operations that you normally have multiple sources for, etc. It's solving an issue uh, and, and it helps relieve the amount of customizations that you need to put into your ERP, which is more rigid and, and slow moving than many of these applications need to be. All right. All right. So um, thank you for this one. Thank and you. have a nice summer if we don't hear from you. Thank bye you. bye. Take care. Bye bye.